everybody, and welcome to Scorch Justice, the podcast covering the murders of Jessica Lynn Chambers and Ming Sheen Show. And I'm Woody Overton, your host. On the last episode, I told you about the horrific events that occurred at Quentin Tellis's first trial for the murder of Jessica Lynn Chambers. Bad stuff, right? It just shocks the senses. I mean, I know most people uh, that are listening to me are true crime fans, so y'all would get it, but it is what it is. The mistrials, I've been involved in a few where they tried to get it declared a mistrial, but it never happened. So I can't tell you that I have the direct knowledge of coming back and having a second bite of the apple. First, I never needed it when I was on the criminal side, and I've never needed it when I was on the defense side. But I guess I've been fortunate. But in this case, in the murder of Jessica Lynn Chambers, the Panola County District Attorney says, screw that, you know, we're going to get him, Right. Now, I told you at the end of the last episode, I would have not voted guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The guilty, more than probable cause, sure, absolutely. But because they botched it up, everybody botched it up in so many different ways, no way in hell I would have voted him guilty, okay? And so I want to say this, so the one thing that I think the first trial proves that this case is not about race. Certainly there were racial tensions in Cortland by this time. And after all these people are getting harassed, the Eric's and Derek's and all that stuff. But this trial is about the murder of Jessica Lynn Chambers. It doesn't matter who murdered her, black, white, red, yellow, whatever. So let's move forward. The second trial started on September 24th of 2018. Now, y'all, you know, you've heard the past episodes and about Eric and Derek and all that. Well, guess whose sister has Eric tattooed on their hand? It's not my sister. Quintellis' sister has Eric tattooed on her hand. Now remember, Quintellis finally becomes a suspect, even though Panola County says different. He finally becomes a suspect after they find that he is the number one suspect in the murder of Ming Chow or Mandy in Louisiana, and that he's in jail, incarcerated, and he's not getting out because he was caught using her access cards, what they call them, or ATM card. And, they, and guess what? Louisiana was going to fuck him, or they didn't fuck him. They made sure he was locked up. He took a plea bargain for 10 years, whatever. He's not going anywhere for at least 10 years. They got a chance to build the case against him for Mandy. But Eric, Derek, is supposedly what these first responders heard. That's what Jessica said when she was literally burning alive. <laughs> 
on Heron Road in Cortland, Mississippi. The day that Mandy's body was found in Louisiana, Cortland marries his girlfriend. Eight months after Jessica was murdered, okay? And I'm going to come back to that because it's important. I just want you to keep that in your mind. I have some, there's going to be some pretty shocking information and it'll be on, should be on the last episode. Let's go back to trial two. Now, you better believe if I'm the district attorney, I'm going to have my ducks in a row this time because you got your ass handed to you last time. So take that and I'll tell you what happened in this trial and what they did different. They were in Starkville, Mississippi this time. And they selected a jury of nine blacks and three whites. Quinn Tellis had the same legal defense team. It's the same prosecutors, same judge, etc. So I'm not going to repeat everything verbatim, but, I'm, but I want to tell you what changed, all right? Lisa started out testifying again about who Jessica was, you know, putting the human face on the victim. That's, that's what you do, right, in any murder trial. And Lisa is Jessica's mom. They went through the whole spiel, what the prosecution does, and nothing sadder than a grieving mother, right? Well, guess who else gets a chance to have a second bite at the apple? The defense knows where they were weak the last time. And what they didn't ask Lisa in the first trial, they asked her this time. So the prosecution gets done with the tender of the witness to the defense. And on cross, the defense asked Lisa if she knew that Jessica Lynn had been doing drugs and selling marijuana and if she knew about the rehab that Jessica went to. Well, of course, the mom, you know, said, no and yes, right? Uh, but that was just a little slice of the defense team being ready, more prepared to come back because they want to. They're not trying to victim blame on Jessica or anything like that. But you got to, if you're on the defense side, you've got to throw shade where you can. And I mean, I get it. It's our legal system, people. It's not great, but it's the best in the world. trial goes on, the prosecution calls a speech pathologist. Now, they should have done this shit in the first trial. But they call speech pathologist Carolyn Higdon. And she testified that Jessica was too badly burned in order for her to speak. She said it would have been impossible to make individual sounds in any way. And it was a lot more than that, y'all. This I'm highlighting for you. That she goes into about the you know the throat and all the, the the tongue and the mouth and whatever. But she said it's impossible for her to make a sound very soon after the fire started. Well, guess what? Prosecution, I give you some props for trying to put on someone who can try to dispel Derek and Eric. But your problem is. You fucking people have already sworn to it. You know what I mean? That's what they said. Or so it would seem, y'all. Because listen to what happens next. 
Cole Haley testifies this time, and he said Jessica was walking toward him, had outstretched arms saying, help me, help me, help me. It was garbled, and she said, somebody set me on fire. I'm going to die. Okay, what does this do? First of all, Cole Haley's testimony totally knocks fucking Carolyn Higgins, the speech pathologist, out the water because he's saying that Jessica said this to him. But guess what? That's different than what he said in the first trial. This is a new statement. You talk about trial preparation? Shit. I don't know how defense doesn't throw a total conniption fit. Whatever. So it goes on. I mean, but in the beginning, where all these, and God bless them, I love them all. I mean, I, I told you my history of volunteer firemen and stuff. But all these people who wanted to help, they hear Eric and Derek and all this. And one guy was so emotional that, you know, he scarred him for the rest of his life and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Now they're getting on the stand and they're singing a different tune. It's like they're downplaying the Eric and Derek. You can only say that that would be as a result of the prosecution coaching them because the one thing that never changes is the truth, people, okay? So then Daniel Cole or Danielle Cole gets on and said that Jessica's breathing was worse and worse and she was saying, Harry. Harry. Shit, in the first trial, she was saying, she was saying, Eric, Derek, Derek, Derek. You know, clears the bell, right? She's adamant that she hears it. And now she's doing this like, Eric, Eric. Like, fucking nobody could understand what she's saying. But again, she's totally changed her statement from the first trial. The first trial, she damn well, you could understand what she was saying. Why, y'all? Obviously, they've been coached. Also, y'all, in the first trial, they heard, Eric did this to me. He set me on fire. Now they, they're not even saying Eric. They're moaning shit. So, whatever. Go to Will Turner. Remember the guy who sees the black male in the crowd who stared through him and told me, he told me, hey, you can't be here. And, and he walks off and he changes shirts like he's walking away, which he was never identified. Y'all, that this guy was now identified like a neighbor that lived down the road and his wife sent him to see what was happening or something like that. Totally irrelevant. And don't even know why you testify about it. First trial, they absolutely said they believed it to be Eric. This time, they take the stand, they get up and they say, but she was raspy and it was hard to understand her. They just couldn't understand anything. Like thirsty was hersey and cold was uh, or what was believed to be air was actually pronounced like eh, eh. So y'all, they're totally changing everything. Second bite of the apple, different jury. Then they put on the lady named Sherry Flowers. She testifies that she picked up someone that night close to the crime scene. And that person asked her which direction she was going. And she asked him, where are you trying to go? And he said, to his aunt's house. 
She said it was an African-American male. She said, okay, I'm going to give him a ride. But she couldn't remember the person and felt like it was irrelevant. That's what she testified for the prosecution. The defense attorney is ready for her, okay? And says, basically, they found out that she has a child in jail. The defense attorney asks if she's been promised anything for her testimony, and she says no. Okay, I believe there, Sherry Flowers, whether she was promised something or not, and God only knows, I believe Sherry Flowers is the prosecution's attempt to explain how in the hell Quentin Tellis could have got away from this scene and been where he was so fast, right? In Batesville and then back at Eminem, changed clothes and all that. If I'm the prosecution, I'm thinking, oh shit, we were really weak there. We should have addressed that. But th this girl didn't come off as believable. Then they put on Dr. William Hickerson, and he testifies that the burns were too bad on Jessica. He testifies she could not have spoken. His testimony focused on the lack of ability to speak once you're that severely burned. He was more firm in his opinion. He justifies the others' opinions of what they heard or may have thought they have heard of Eric or Derek by saying, are there to help out? They want to hear something. They are asking Jessica, hey, baby, who did this to you? And whatever she's moaning, this doctor is testifying that, you know what, they heard what they wanted to hear because they wanted to try to help out. And you know what? That may not be too far from the truth. But I hope to tie it up for you on Scorch Justice in the end, and you'll see why I think what I think now. So trial goes on, y'all. It's kind of same people, different things. But I'm trying to tell you what's different. So they take another field trip, all right? This time, they're going to reconstruct the crime scene. The defense ejects strenuously. They're like, hell to the night, right? The, the prosecution wants to create as much as possible of the noises in the scene that night, which that means you got to get your fire trucks, you got to get all the first responders and everybody out there, and you got to have the hoses running, the pumps running, and the jury's going to get to witness all this. Well, I mean, shit, I, I think that might be a little bit inflammatory. Never heard of that one before, y'all. The, the <laughs> reconstructing the crime scene at night with the lights and the sirens, and you're going to try to talk to witnesses or whatever and jury can hear it. Oh, total fucking shit show. But let's talk about that. So at 7.30 p.m., they set the lights and the fire trucks up and the pumps running. They had the vehicles there, the ambulances. They have all the phones and their radios going off and people talking. And then finally, the judge is like, oh, fuck, I fucked up. And the judge... Chatham stops the whole thing. He said, wait, 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 this is ridiculous. We can't have court down here. This, this, he says this right in the middle while the defense is talking. And he cut off the defense without them getting a chance to cross-examine in front of the jury. The next morning in court, the judge says, you know what, I fucked up. I shouldn't let any of that happen. Uh, you're right, judge, you shouldn't have. That was pretty stupid. 
so then the prosecution puts on Scott Meadows, a special agent with the ATF, who's a new witness, y'all, because the other one fucked it up so bad last time. So now Scott Meadows is replacing Tim Douglas, who just butchered it at the first trial. The DA asked him, do you believe Quentin was being deceptive? Scott responds, purposely? I do indeed. Yes, sir. DA says, do people have a reason to be deceptive? Scott says, they do. DA says, what would that reason be? And Scott says, because they're guilty. Now, yeah, they're talking about all the lies that they caught Quentin in during his three taped interviews. The fence gets up and says, wasn't Quentin visibly upset when you tried to implicate him? And Scott comes back with, he was visibly upset when we showed him the evidence. Boom. You can score that one for the prosecution. This guy knows what he's doing on the witness stand, right? All right, let's move forward a little bit in the trial. Jerry King, remember the whole deal about finding the keys and giving them to his kid and then going back down there and, and putting them in the grass, taking photos. Oh, well, guess what? They weren't gonna let that shit happen again. In fact, they didn't even bring Jerry King in to testify about the keys. The prosecution says they couldn't find him. And his family says he was there in Panola County but obviously he was not a reliable witness. Remember he had a long rap sheet and all that. So, but Catherine Rogers, a DNA analyst, gets up again and testifies about the keys. So there's a mixture of DNA for four individuals, but this time it says male and female DNA and Quentin's was not found. At the first trial, the Y chromosome with Quinn could not be ruled out. But this time, they're saying Quinn's not there. Holy shit. Right? So now you got, you're throwing more shade. If you give any relevance to the keys at all, which obviously, if they were found where they said it was and all that, then the DNA, if Quinn's DNA would have been on keys, it would have been important, but not so important because. All Quentin's got to say is, you know what, I was in a car having sex where I've already told y'all that, and I touched the key, so it doesn't really matter, neither here nor there. All right, so this time they start hammering now on Quinn's alibis, one which was Big Mike, which he said, oh, no, I was with Big Mike, and, uh, you know, we were doing this, whatever. I was in Big Mike's truck and all that, and Big Mike's like, Fuck you. So they put Big Mike on the stand. Big Mike testifies. He was in Nashville. He left Cortland around 2 p.m. Quinn had lied and said he borrowed Big Mike's truck Saturday night to meet Jessica. Proven lie. But the defense came back and says, did you ask Big Mike, did you see Quinn on December 6th? Big Mike said yes that morning. And they asked, when did you come back from Nashville? And Big Mike says, Sunday evening after the game. Uh, I think that really, I mean, it's more damaging for Quinn, obviously, right? Then 
They put on a witness, Shanika, who is Quinn's sister. Now, this is crazy, but anyway, I'm going to tell you what it said. She says Big Mike dropped her off a dart from the sandbox on that day. Now, she's calling Quinn's sister. I mean, come on, man. Fuck, you going to put her on the stand and testify? Or do you think the jury's not going to automatically look at her with a suspicious eye? Now she's coming back and contradicting Big Mike and said, oh, no, no, Big Mike's either lying or he got it wrong because he dropped me off at dark, which is around 5.30, y'all, at that time of the year on December 6th. He dropped me off at the sandbox. No way. He he had to be in town. So Quinn is telling the truth about his, you know, using his truck. So then the DA asked her, says, are you aware that Big Mike is at the store at 2 o'clock by himself? Shanika says no. Now, they, they've got video. They're ready for this. They knew the defense was going to put Shanika on. Quinn Tellis doesn't have anybody else testifying for him. DA says, well, the jury's got that. And Quinnika comes back and says, well, he probably left to go to the store, but we was together all that day, and I have no reason to lie. And the DA responds, you don't? And then he says, no further questions, Your Honor. They totally blew her out of the water. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. And it's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Y'all, I use it. I'm telling you. I've got so much going on. It just helps me to be able to talk to a professional and they can give me a different insight and tell me how to better take care of myself. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online and the services available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with additional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being because, well, you deserve some inner peace. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for Scorch Justice listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash 
S-C-O-R-C-H-E-D. That's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com, S-C-O-R-C-H-E-D. That's BetterHelp.com slash Scorched. This time, the jury gets the instructions again. And you better believe the judge made sure they understood him, right? And he sends them out to deliberate. At 2.30 p.m., they began deliberating. At 7.30 p.m., they said, they were like, we need longer than this. We're tired. It's been a long day. We're hungry and shit. So the judge sent them to a hotel for the night. Next morning, they bring them back in. Now, remember, they're going to be sequestered, y'all. They can't watch the news coverage. Can't. I mean, you certainly don't want another mistrial because a jury member's fucking up, right? And then, I mean, these trials are expensive, too, by the way. But the next morning, they bring them back in. They start deliberating again. And at 1 p.m., the jury asked to review the cell phone data again. And at 3 p.m., 12 hours after they had begun to deliberate, adding up the time from the day previous and this day, the jury sends a note to the judge. The jurors say they don't think they can reach a decision. They're deadlocked. And the judge declares a mistrial again. And they poll the juror members and then say, hey, I mean, and that's their right. And the defense or prosecution can poll the jury when they come back and they give their decision and they ask, what was your vote? Six of them said Quentin Tellis was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of the murder of Jessica Lynn Chambers. But more importantly, six of them said Quentin Dallas was not guilty for the murder of Jessica Chambers. On this one, y'all, had I not had knowledge of the first one and I was these people, I, st- I still just couldn't have, I couldn't have got past the non-collection of evidence and, and the lack of chain of custody. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what a regular person would think, although I'm paid now on the defense side to figure out what they think. But this, I just, I just don't think they had it. They got him. I believe, of course, I don't have any direct knowledge, but I believe that Quentin Tellis murdered Jessica Lynn, no doubt. But I also don't believe that the prosecution did a job worth a fuck. I mean, when your own speech pathologist gets up there and says, "Mm, no, there's no way they could say anything, but you got all these people who now are obviously changing their testimony, which the jury doesn't know that. But they're obviously changing their testimony and they're getting up there and they're trying to make their testimony fit the way it went south for them in the first trial. You can't put on a speech pathologist and this other doctor and said that they just couldn't say anything when she clearly said, help me, help me, help me. And she clearly was trying to say something. What about her saying, like in the first in the investigation, when she, they, they said that she said Jessica Tambers, right? Obviously, she could talk. So I think the defense just shot themselves in the fucking foot. They should have took it head on and gone with what that doctor said. 
the doctor, I wouldn't have used him. If he told me, you know what, she couldn't have said anything, and the only thing the reason they heard Eric or Derek's because that's what they want to hear. That's bullshit, man. She said stuff, right? There's no getting around that. And therefore, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt. And I wish it was. But let me tell you all this, though. Before the retrial began, there became some serious accusations against the district attorney, John Champion. And the judge had to have a hearing on it. Darla Palmer accused John Champion, the district attorney, of allegedly trying to pressure another client of hers who is charged with capital murder in another case to testify that Jessica Chambers used to refer to Quintellis as Eric. John Champion wanted her client to do this in exchange for leniency. She accused Champion of numerous ethical violations, prosecutorial misconduct, and potential criminal violations. Jalen Matthew Cadell testified on the matter and told the judge what supposedly what it is that the district attorney offered. The judge comes back and he concludes that any potential misconduct by the district attorney champion was not prejudicial to tell us. Holy fuck. Let me tell you again. He hears all this evidence. You got another attorney saying, hey, I'm telling you the district attorney offered my client a deal, some leniency, if he would testify that Jessica called Quentin Eric. I mean, that's serious, y'all. You bring that shit up against a, a district attorney, a long-running district attorney, been there since 2001. I mean, this dude's got political stroke and power out that yin-yang, right? This is a bombshell. And an attorney is a sworn officer of the court. It's like being a law enforcement officer, but they're a sworn officer of the court. They swear an oath, right? And she accused him of it, and then she puts the guy on the stand and, and testifies about the alleged offer. The judge comes back and says, well, you know what? Even if he did it, it's not prejudice against Quentin Tellus. Holy shit. I don't know if he did or he didn't do it, but I'm going to tell you what. If he did do it, that's not his first time to do it. And then you, you go back and you listen to the changed testimonies in the second trial. Holy shit. There's only one. Those people didn't decide to change their stories on their own. I mean, that's to me, because I've been around a thousand of them, right? Those testimonies, that's not some coach shit. Every good district attorney should bring you in and review the case before it goes to trial. That's a review. That's them ask you a question, you answer it. They don't say, oh, well, you know what, change it to this or change it to that. Oh, this might help us a little bit more if you do this or do that. These fuckers came in and changed their stories, period. And then they changed everything from how adamant they were about uh, what they heard and, and everything else, right? I mean, holy shit, what do you do? 
if, if you listen to Darla Palmer's accusations against John Champion, the DA, and you go back and you listen to the first trial, and you come back and you listen to the second trial and all the changes, it just it really looks bad. Now listen, I don't have any direct knowledge that John Champion is guilty of any of this. I'm just telling you my personal opinion. And this United States of America, I could say my personal opinion. It's not slander, okay? But I'm telling you, it looks bad. Like shit on a stick, bad. I don't understand it. I can tell you this. Quintellus got another hung jury and as the last thing I looked up, they hadn't decided, supposedly haven't decided whether or not they're going to come back and try him a third time. I don't think they will. Uh, I think they know that they messed it up so bad and that the good old boy network won't just let you ram it down the throat. And I'm not talking about even about the allegations that this other attorney made against the district attorney. I'm talking about just bad police work, bad witnesses, bad everything. And here's the deal. If this was a race case, like everybody tried to make it, Quentin Tellis would be sitting in Parchman Prison in Mississippi for the murder of a white girl. I think he got more than a fair trial, regardless of the color of his skin. And when he got hung juries on both of them, he's lucky that Panola County has such shitty work on this case. And I hope they've done better on, on the other ones, but I mean, I hope there's new policy and procedures all in their book because of everything they fucked up on this one. But it's, it's a classic small town, good old boy network, sheriff's office thinking, you know what, we're gonna run this bitch through like we run all the rest of them. And on most cases, the people just play out, right? So, it is what it is. Will he get tried again? I seriously doubt that. But that leads us into right now, as I'm speaking to you, He's in prison in the state of Louisiana for the unauthorized access is what they call it. I forget the revised statute, but the unauthorized use of Ming Chow's or Mandy, I'm gonna call her Mandy from now on out, ATM card. And I'm going to conclude my series on the murders Jessica Lynn Chambers and Mean Chow on the next episode of Scorch Justice the Podcast and we'll be dealing specifically with Mandy's case and with what has happened and is happening as I speak to you now with Quentin Tellis in the state of Louisiana
Scorched Justice is a production of Cloud 10 Media and Real Life Real Crime Productions. The show is executive produced by Cindy and Woody Overton and Sim Sarn for Cloud 10 Media. Matt Provisano is our supervising sound editor. The music is by Josh Cook. Artwork by Brian Stephanie. Be sure to download, subscribe, and like Scorch Justice anywhere you can download a podcast. You can follow me, Woody Overton, on Instagram at Overton Woody and at Real Life Real Crime to hear what I've got coming next. Thank you. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.